So hello everyone and welcome along to the second episode of the Borderline podcast here on Grip with me, Garth Sawyer, your host. And I really can't emphasize how delighted, humbled, excited and fascinated I am to have today's um, guest here. I have with me Ruth Dudley Edwards. Hello, Ruth. Hello, Gaz, but I'll never live up to that. Uh, I, you, you will, of course, Ruth. We, we, I, I have spent a night out on the tiles with you, Ruth. You, you, you will live up. You will not only live up to that. You, you will, you will exceed all the expectations. <laughs> so, that, no, that was a that was a great night. That, that was that was a fantastic night. I, I, I suppose it's it's a great way to start in that that night out. I think you you discovered whether you you might have been transgender or not that night, or whether. You were going to be transgender just from a simple going to the toilet. Do you remember that? Yes, but I'm, I'm, I, it's it's fading now in my memory. Tell me. Well, you remember we, we we were in a pub and um, we you you were going to the loo, but for some reason they were having renovations or something done on their Sorry. toilets. Um, so they had the the ladies' toilets were closed off. They, they were using the gents as the ladies and the gents had to go to the disabled toilets. So there was a big sign on the, um, on the gents' toilets saying ladies only or something oh, like yeah. that. It's coming back. Uh, yeah, and you, had, you, were, you were trying to find the toilets along with some other ladies who were in the bar and one of them, one of them started saying, this is not on, this is some transgender thing and I don't want to be a part of this. Because you were being forced to go to the gents. So. <laughs> yeah. and there's so much of this nonsense going on. You know, it's very <laughs> yes. Yeah. The, those those events sort of meld together. But um, now you mention it, I remember. It, yeah, so. you have you have so many nights. Using. You have so many nights out in the tiles that you just can't remember them all. I know. <laughs> well, I, I, a fair a fair number it has to be said before lockdown. Yes. So how are you coping with lock, lock, lockdown? And um, I don't want to be too. Um, let me see. I don't want to be offensive for this, but should you be cocooning? Is that the official term now for what you should be doing? Well, I mean, they were pretty decent over here compared to the way it was in the Republic, where I had friends who truly were locked down for the crime of being over 70. Um, but I am fortunate in that here we were allowed out for exercise and even at my age. And because um, I didn't have underlying medical problems, despite all the nights out. Uh, and... Um, I started to go for long walks in the morning around St. James's Park and other parks, which is something I never did, and learn a poem every day and look at waterfowl. And that was all very entertaining. And, um, you know, discovered discovered new things, got terribly involved in the lives of Egyptian goslings. I bet you don't know anything about Egyptian goblings, uh, goslings, but um, it, curiously interesting. And uh, a bit of a change from the Today programme. Okay. Um, so, so I did a fair bit of that and learned a fair bit of poetry. The only problem being that I am, uh, my friends call me the non-retentive historian. So I learned the poem in the morning and I've forgotten it by the evening, but there you are. Okay. It's been very educational. You, you, well, so I, I've, had to, I've had a fine time. The only thing that worried me actually, and this is true, is that I am always railing against people who live in bubbles like politicians and so on. And I realise the people I'm talking to so much during lockdown, we were all more or less in agreement 
And that isn't good for any of us because you begin to think, you begin to develop your own herd mentality, yeah. which is something I disapprove of. So I was very pleased to go and have dinner with a friend last week that I hadn't seen for the whole lockdown. And we had a big disagreement in the middle. Very amiable, I have to say. But, you know, so the, the brain is coming back and but, realizing that yeah, diverse points of view and all that. Excellent. Very good. But, I mean, you have a, you have a friend who disagrees with you. Surely that's not allowed these days. <laughs> well, <laughs> no. Well, if I, I I would lose a lot of friends if I didn't allow different points of view. I I mean, I lost a few because I was uh, pro Brexit, but I never I I didn't divorce anyone because I I don't divorce people because of their views actually ever, ever. But I get occasionally divorced by people who just can't bear it. But by and large, I have very nice friends, you know, and. We will sit there and discover that some of us voted one way and the other ones voted another. And fair enough. There are a good, lot of good people out there, actually, Gareth. I find it very, it's very cheering. Yeah, I, I mean, it fascinates me the amount of people who you just can't say certain things to because you become persona non grata these days. I, I think it's very sad. It, it's just, you know, if... I suppose you could look on it from the point of view of thinking that, well, if that person doesn't want to be friends with me anymore just because I think this way, probably weren't a great friend in the first place. Uh, but, but I think it's very sad. It's, it's depressing, actually. It really does depress me. Well, I have the prime example. I mean, I think I outrank a lot of people on this one uh, in terms of losing a friend. Now, as you say, I, this person was never a close friend, but was somebody I'd known for 25 years, I suppose, and had dealt with professionally, published a book with, and all sorts of things. I'm not going to identify him. But I was at a party not long after the, the referendum. And uh, he came into this party, and as he always does, he, catches, he caught sight of me. He came straight over. There was the cheek kissing and all the rest of it. Lovely to see you. How's everything going? You know, as it's been for 25 years. And then he came in in the conversation I was having, which was a, an amiable one with um, somebody you can talk to um, about the referendum. And then he discovered I had voted to leave the EU. And he looked at me, looked down at me. I'm very short. He was very tall. And he said, I would rather spend the evening with a child molester and stormed off. It was rather, yeah. I mean, he gave me great copy. I didn't ever give his name because I wouldn't do that. But um, it was good copy for the article. <laughs> but sure. it is extraordinary. I mean, it is extraordinary to me that somebody who actually makes his um, his living out of ideas, out of publishing, <laughs> publishing, could think like that. You know, the total. I I I I wrote a history of the Economist once, a long time ago. I mean, a hundred and fifty years of it. So I was pretty close to The Economist. And I have to say, in those days, diversity of opinion was OK. It was fine. You'd get really good friends having ferocious arguments on all sorts of things, but it didn't affect the friendship. Now, uh, again, at some Economist party, I found that I was talking to perfectly nice people from The Economist who were saying, well, of course, we don't have anybody on the staff who's a, who's a lever. Brexiteer. I mean, how could we? Because they don't have any brains. And <laughs> you know, one of them. That one of them then had the grace to say to me, "Well, you must have brains," he said, "because you wrote our history." 
So how can you be a leaver? You know, you get into these very strange, yes. strange groupings. Yes. Um, and I don't like that. I don't like, um, I, I, I hate the herd mentality. I hate not being able to have a disagreement with people. I run a Facebook page, which is free speech. Yes, which I'm a member of. It's a f- fantastic page, by the way. Anyone should join it because it, it really is. And there's lots of disagreement on it. There is, but then some of them play unfair by reporting each other too. Yeah. And, and very few of them, but some of them do. Particularly Irish Republicans go into this, I have to say, if I may make a general statement. Not all of them. Yeah. But I, I do appreciate the fact there are, you know, there's, there's a few pretty devout followers of Sinn Féin on it, but they are ones with questioning minds. So even yeah. though they'll tell us that everything we say is rubbish, they, they do keep coming back to read yeah. and have an argument. And I think that's tremendous and quite a lot I mean quite a lot of loyalists um, the most I find the most completely uh, intolerant ones are you know what you'd expect it's the equivalent in London it's the Islington Hampstead crowd in Ireland it's Dublin 4 it's the same thing how can you be so unenlightened as to have this point of view well I suppose at least they're only reporting us on Facebook now at least they're not shooting people which is progressive I guess, in one way or another. But um, what fascinates me about that story is that you can, I mean, you can disagree. Surely you can disagree with someone. You can think that Brexit is the worst thing ever to happen in the country. You can think it's horrible. You can think it's going to cause job losses. You can think it's going to cause X, Y, Z. But to actually think that it's worse than <laughs> child molesting... I, I don't know. It just fa- what fascinates me is how someone's thought process can get to the stage where Brexit is worse than child molesting. Um, yes, I, I mean, in, in his defence, I, I doubt if in cold blood he would think that. <laughs> if you sat him down, and he might grudgingly say it was perhaps a little bit, <laughs> perhaps not quite as bad. I really don't know, but it's just the knee-jerk response. But then he doesn't meet people. Sure. That, that don't think like that. And people harden. I mean, that's what happens with them. There's a thing on Facebook that really irritates me because I post stuff that I think might interest people. I don't have time to get involved in the arguments, really. I mean, I just don't. But I put them up there and let them fight it out. Um, and the number of people who object to the posts I put up on the grounds that I shouldn't be posting this. And, you know, wearily I say this is a free speech uh, page, um, you're entitled to take umbrage at it um, but I'm posting it because I think it might interest you. But the people who will say, I am not going to read that because it comes from Gript, that's off- that is mentioned, yeah. um, the Daily Mail, the Daily Telegraph they've got a long list of yeah. anything that's remotely conservative um, the Irish Catholic, whatever it is I am not going to listen, I will not read this, I will not Do you think? and yet you're coming in for the purposes of having a discussion. I don't get it. I don't get it. I really don't get it. Yeah, well, there's so many um, websites and discussion in inverted commas groups now that that ban posts from certain outlets. Like, I don't know if you're you're familiar with the, the website Reddit, which is an enormous website and has what's called subreddits. And one of the subreddits is, is Ireland. So they have an Irish one. But they do stuff, weird stuff from time to time. Like they ban posts linking to Daily Mail articles. You're just not allowed to link to the Daily Mail at all. Um, and you're going, well, is it not even a good idea that I can link to it to go, look at this, this is horrible. Isn't the Daily Mail terrible? 
but no, <laughs> you can't do that. So, yeah. um, but what I did, I, I found something on there. You, you're very good. What I find you very good is, especially on Twitter, is when when the the people and they're always anonymous. Every single time they're anonymous. When they call you names and saying stupid, nasty things about you, you instead you you tend to retweet them or just show everyone them. Um, because I I'm guessing you might tell me different, but I'm guessing you think well, let let people see what scumbags these people really are, or it doesn't. Does it annoy you? Does it get to you, or does it fascinate you? Oh, it a lot of the time it just amuses me, guys. I mean, it just does because they're always reaching the same old in, insults. And if the if the main people going after you are the Shinner bots, you know the Shin sure. the, the Shin Fein su- supporting army, um, they've just they, they they're always using the same ones over and over and over again. You know, Westbridge, Westbridge. But I mean, I, I I treasure some of them. I mean, they 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 start um. Now I must I mustn't use the language specifically, but uh, there's certain the c word they, they call me a lot, obviously. Yeah. Ugly old, ugly old. Yes. Yeah. Conservative, word. yeah. <laughs> well, no, it's worse than conservative. <laughs> fascist. No, no, fascist. Oh, okay. Outright. Oh, okay. Yeah. 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 They're learning words what? like that. But there was a lovely stage. I mean, it made me laugh anyway. When I had written something in support of Israel. Uh, or against Hamas or something, you know, unacceptable. So they decided that I was one of them that called me an ugly old C word, um, West Brit, Jewish, whatever it was, <laughs> the hideous name. And uh, I thought it was priceless. You know, I was very proud of this because I don't think anybody's ever been denounced as an ugly old well, yes, West Brit, <laughs> Jewish C word. Um, I don't think they have. You know, I, I felt I had scored an honourable first. Well, so I just I just retweet this. And I don't think they know quite what to make of it because then other people sometimes from their political persuasion come in and say, that's a bit much. Yes. Well, I'm, I'm sure these people are avowed feminists anyway. And you, you, well, of course. <laughs> you should never be insulting women unless, you know, they're horrible Nazis like you are. Yes, but yes. I, I did go. Um, I did go doing a, a little bit of searching on the Reddit uh, subreddit, the Ireland subreddit, and I, I find this. Someone they were chatting about you in some group, and I find this, and I thought there's two of them actually. But the first one, I thought this one was just just fascinating. So if you'll allow me to read this to you, I just I, I just think this is remarkable stuff. So. It's a, this gentleman goes on to say, I don't like using the term West Brit, but in her case, it is entirely appropriate. She is fully ashamed of her Irish identity. She's ashamed of the fact that she's not British. She wants to be part of the UK again because she genuinely thinks the Irish are inferior to the ones across the water. So, hi, isn't that remarkable? It's like an essay. It's like a love poem, to be honest. <laughs> Yes, well, I mean, this does suggest to me that he doesn't really read much that I say or or hear what I say in any way at all. It's like, well, I'll tell you, they, they get notions of um, to defend their own loathing of me or whatever. Like there's the ones who keep throwing at me that I had a, a grandmother in in, in um, Common Amman yeah. and an IRA supporting grandmother. Yeah. Um, so this is thrown at me, although I have written about her. I've written articles about her. It's in one of my books, the fact that she was a very interesting early person in my life with a picture of Hitler at the bottom of her bed. 
because her hatred of, of Britain went so far that um, when I asked her about the Jews, she explained it was British propaganda. That was in the 1950s. Um, so um, they're very confused, these people, and they have to attribute to you the worst things they can imagine. So I've spent so much of my life writing for Irish newspapers, writing books about Irish history, um, getting involved in matters to do with Northern Ireland. Uh, but I must be doing it for evil reasons. Yes, you, it, can't, yeah, you can't possibly be looking for the truth or anything silly like that. No, and that's my problem with people who divest themselves of friends when there's a disagreement. They're attributing bad motives to them. Mm. Um, well, and I, I mean, I'm prepared to sit there and assume that, it, and I mean, I, I have an understanding of people who join outfits like Sinn Féin at the age of 15 or 16 or 17. Um, I understand people who make mistakes and get caught up in things and get it wrong. Um, but you're not, but my enemies are not prepared for one moment to think that I'm anything other than evil. Because, of course, you're well aware well of this, Gareth, that this interesting thing that has, that has happened, which is that uh, the right think of the left as being a bit silly and keep saying things like, you know, they'll grow out a bit or they'll be mugged by reality or whatever. The left know that the right is evil. They just have it in their bones that they're evil. Yes. So an ordinary conservative is evil and is conservative for such evil reasons. And that is why the left are so intolerant and why, on the whole, the right aren't. Yeah, well, I, I did have, I did read one guy who who said this, and I, I honestly, I just, I, it's hard to even read this because it's, it's, it's amazing that someone can can come up with such nonsense. But this guy criticised you because you once before compared Sinn Fein to the Nazis, and the horrible thing about that was that the Nazis killed millions. How dare you compare Sinn Fein to the Nazis because the Nazis killed millions? So. <laughs> And by some logic in this guy's head that it's it's the more people that you kill, the worse that you are. So it, it, I think if I if if I or you, if maybe if we go out and only murder a few people today, that's OK, because we didn't kill as many as the Nazis. So you can't compare us to the Nazis. So it's it, there's a hierarchy of people. I don't know what the number is personally. Maybe maybe you've read it somewhere. <laughs> well, of course, first of all, you have to be sure of your facts. And since they're normally not prepared to admit to whom they killed, for most purposes, it's a bit diff difficult to make the comparisons. But I mean, I, I, that makes me think, Gareth, of, um, you know, what's going on at the moment in terms of um, the, the murder of that guy, George F Floyd. Uh, it, we were all worked up about one person. Fine. Did anybody ever march about the IRA murdering, deliberately murdering large numbers of policemen? Is that about numbers too? No, and and I, I see I see Michelle O'Neill unveiled a Black Lives Matter mural in in Belfast the other day, but I think I I don't know whether I didn't see the bottom of it if there was a qualification because I don't think it mattered. If you were black when you were a, sol a British soldier, I think that sort of 
disqualified you from being from mattering. I, I, you were, it was okay to be shocked then. I'm not really sure. The rules, I haven't read the rule book recently. I don't really know. <laughs> yes. Yeah. No, no, that, that, that just um, removes you from any normal humanity. So Okay, okay. sure. Even, black, even blackness doesn't save you. It might these days, but it didn't then. They, they rather liked um, killing black soldiers because black soldiers had no right to be in the, in the police or the British Army. I mean, that's the that's the line. You cannot be. I mean, look, the the taking away. What was it Joe Biden said the other week? Oh, yes. You, Joe you, Biden. you ain't black. You don't vote for me. You ain't black. Yeah. And Hillary Clinton lost the election through assuming that every woman would vote for her because a woman who didn't vote for her wasn't a woman. It was the same thing. Yeah. And it's again, um, it's kind of a left wing sort of position. If you don't because we are good. And conservatism is bad inherently. You're a bad person if you don't agree with us on this particular issue. Exactly, and uh, and that led to another um, infamous thing that you you were once called, I think, in Northern Ireland. You, it, it, only in Northern Ireland could this have happened. You, so you came out at the time while while killings were still going on before ceasefires. I think it was, wasn't it? That and you were criticizing. Sinn Féin and the IRA, which led you to be called anti-peace. Oh, yes, I remember. Yes. So yes. By, by criticising the act, people who were actually murdering people at the time, while you weren't murdering people, they were the ones who wanted peace and you were the anti-peace. So it's a, it's a fascinating Northern Irish thing, which makes perfect sense it, if you're from there, but... Yes, it does. I mean, it does. One of my favourite lines from a journalist ever. I have a, <clears throat> a great friend called Lindy McDowell, who's a Belfast journalist, a, a columnist in the Belfast Telegraph. And she, around the time that everybody was being uh, subjected by Sinn Féin propagandists to, you know, querying their motives on absolutely everything. And I was anti-peace and all sorts of other people. She just she wrote an article on it all. And she just said at the end, just because I've never murdered anyone doesn't mean I'm a bad person. <laughs> <laughs> yes. But, yes. but it, that, it goes back to your good versus bad. I mean, if you haven't murdered a bad person, then are you really good? A good person, yes. Yes, they, they get very tied up with, uh, with all of this. And I find it very entertaining, actually. But I, I must say, I've had a lot of fun out of them. Um, of, of Irish Republicanism as well as the awfulness in many respects and so on. But um, the capacity for self-delusion and then the capacity for leaping on the nearest bandwagon, hence, of course, that unfortunate man being on this, on this poster, on this mural in uh, West Belfast, uh, with three white policemen standing beside him. Well, actually, um, if you look at the names of the other policemen who were with him, um, I don't think they're going to quite fit the the white look. No, they they don't, and that's that's <laughs> there, there have been three arrests and um, one white guy and two of them were I think weren't white anyway. But things like that don't really don't really seem to concern anyone. Um, but so I I don't know. Sometimes you're at a loss for words and you just have to laugh at it. But it really does it really does depress me sometimes. So. Anyway, let's to stop talking about depressing things. Let's go back to Northern Ireland. <laughs> I mean, um, do you, do you think what do you think the 
what fascinates me most about I I I lived in Northern Ireland till I was twenty four. I was brought up late seventies, early eighties, during all the worst of the worst. Well, I mean, you maybe you could argue the sixties were worse, but all the horrible times. And I moved south in nineteen ninety eight, just after the Oma Bobby. And what fascinates me here is I don't know if you'd agree with it is that. Do you think most people in the South, do, do they either, do they just not have a clue about Northern Ireland, don't care about Northern Ireland, or even some of them are actively hostile towards Northern Ireland? Well, I I don't think the word Nordies is a compliment. No, I mean, uh, well, I've certainly been called, I've certainly been called a Nordy bastard a lot of times. And, and, yeah. and not it, like some of it, obviously, is just piss taking, but. It, some of it is very serious stuff. I've been out in Dublin for nights and being called all the naughty bastards of the day in an extremely serious way, which I, I don't know, is that racist? I, I haven't figured it out. Again, I had need to check the rule book. But, yeah. Well, they, they never knew anything about it. I mean, when, when I began to look at this in my... When I got to know anything, I suppose, in my 20s, 30s, and, and it was all blowing up and so on, and... I, I couldn't believe the ignorance about Northern Ireland. I mean, there was automatic prejudice, but nobody actually had a clue because nobody went there yeah. because it was full of naughties. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> that was essentially it. Um, and then it started to get violent. And then, of course, there was a big onrush of Anglophobia and, uh, and sneaking regard for the lads, yeah. and there was a fair bit of all that which can always come out at these moments. But sneaking regards for lads you knew nothing about. I mean, I had uh, a great friend, he, he's dead now, who joined the IRA at 15, Sean O'Callaghan, and um, committed two murders, and then realised he was, uh, he, he was from Kerry, uh, and he realised he was in the middle of a sectarian war. He thought he was a freedom fighter getting the Brits out of Ireland, and then he discovered that he was supposed to be arranging the, the killing of... Um, of Protestants, essentially, mm-hmm. preferably. In, uh, they weren't interested in killing soldiers. They were interested in killing policemen. So mm-hmm. he was set to kill a, He was sent to kill a policeman who was Catholic. So he was a, a double victim, if you like. I mean, he was. they liked killing Catholics because Catholics, no proper Catholic could be in the police. So you're obviously twice evil. But anyway, I mean, Sean joined at 15. Sean was a remarkable man in that when he saw what he had done and what he realised what he was in, he became, he decided, he essentially spent the rest of his life trying to atone for it, sent himself to jail up. He was a spy in the IRA for for years. Um, and I got to know him when he was in jail. And, you know, we were very good friends until he died a couple of years ago. Uh, remarkable man. But, you know, his his take on it, and he thinks, there he was in Kerry, with a father who had been in the old IRA and interned during the war. Uh, a grandmother who thought that when you killed a policeman, you should dig him up just to make sure he was dead and do it again. Um, but that wasn't actually related to any kind of much action. And there was no knowledge of Northern Ireland in any of them. And he was looking at television, looking at Paisley ranting. Hey, Paisley, whom we're now supposed to regard as a man of peace. Don't get me started yeah, on that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, Paisley and Martin. It, it, it's, yeah, I mean, it's like Hitler and Stalin should be given sainthoods now or something like that. These, these, two, yeah. these two ridiculous men 
who did nothing but cause pain and suffering in each of their communities and the other communities are held up now as these two remarkable people who brought peace. Nothing is further from the truth. It's remarkable. Absolutely. Absolutely. But I mean, Sean's experience was when he was being a spy in the IRA in his 20s, you know, the safe houses that were provided by priests, the safe houses provided by um, Fianna Fáil councillors, quite a lot of them. But nobody wanted any trouble on the doorstep. And that's the whole key to the, how they feel about Northern Ireland. As long as you do it up there, lads, not yeah, down here. You're, you're fine, yeah. I mean, you're fine. I... Obviously, I was being brought up on the, the Catholic side in Northern Ireland in the late 70s, early 80s and that stuff. I would never, ever, ever have considered myself anything other than Irish until I moved down here and I realized just how British I was. <laughs> it's, it, you know, I, I often want yeah. to tell lots of people in the North now, lots of nationalists, you know, lads, you really don't realize how much of a different country it is down here. And you're going to have to accept the fact that it is a different country. And and a lot of people here who profess to be Republicans, profess to want a united Ireland, profess to know everything there is about Ireland, simply look down on Northerners as filth or, you know, they're definitely lesser. They're not really Irish. I'm certainly not really Irish, you know. I, I haven't passed the qualification yet, whatever it is. Well, I'm I'm not Irish because I've been expelled from it. Yes. I'm no longer Irish. I'm told I'm, you're not Irish. They just say you're not Irish. Like, you know, it's like not being black. You're not black. <laughs> yes. You can't be black. Because, yeah. So so that's. But I had the, I, I, it was put to me once by one of the great Dublin taxi drivers. And I think it can't be bettered. He said to me, this was probably in the. late 80s, early 90s. And there was something on the radio about a united Ireland. And I said to him, how do you feel about a united Ireland? And he said, well, they'll probably make us have one, he said. And I don't mind one bit, as long as it has no effect whatsoever on the 26 counties. (laughs) (laughs) So maybe maybe it'll subsume them all into Donegal or something. (laughs) (laughs) Donegal can finally take its place as the rightful head of the nation in the biggest county. Well, it's 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 very full of it's known as West Belfast on sea, you know, parts of Donegal. It is little Scotland as well. Some of it is little Scotland too. <laughs> yes. um, but yeah, yes. it's I mean, and I, the, the thing about it is, the fascinating thing I find about Donegal is the, the amount of people here who in in and around Dublin who go. Oh, you're from Northern Ireland. Oh, right, from Donegal. And they, they, they just <laughs> don't understand that Donegal is not actually part of Northern Ireland. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah, they yeah. honestly don't. Like, they really don't get it. They think that Donegal is part of Northern Ireland because it's in the north. And you're going, the country is really small and you do you not learn this stuff in school. But I, I, I don't know anything. <laughs> it, 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 does, it doesn't take. It just doesn't take. It doesn't take. <laughs> I mean, the, the biggest sin I committed was getting to know the Orange Order. Now, I thought it was a reasonable thing to do as a journalist is to get to know people in the place that you were covering. And um, when there was massive trouble over parades in the 90s, uh, Drum Cree and all that, I was covering the parades. And I got to know um, a guy who was in the Orange Order who became a 
very, very close friend of mine. I mean, he has been now for 20, 25 years, whatever it is. He, he sort of took me into his home and introduced me to his family and put me up for a couple of nights and arranged for people to to accompany me when I was going to parades. and So I could see life from the orange point of view. And, you know, they were told that I came from an Irish Catholic background. And, I mean, they even, some of them learned that I didn't believe in God. But they're very nice um, open people, actually, most of them, and uh, tolerant, uh, tolerant of diverse opinions. And um, so I learned about the Orange Order and I learned their point of view. And I wrote a lot about that and made a lot more enemies. And then I wrote a book about them, uh, which was partly critical and partly just explaining what they were. Oh, my God, I mean, they, the, the horror in the South that I would touch them, that I would have anything to do with them, that I would sit at a table with them. I would know because they were obviously evil. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm looking. I'm looking forward to them ripping that plaque up on um, Dawson Street, isn't it? In Dawson, there's an orange orange. Oh, yeah. that. So uh, we have a propensity to rip down statues and stuff like that. So I'm assuming that's going to be ripped up any day now. Once once they're allowed to not be socially distant and get two or three people around this little orange order plaque. <laughs> Well, well, we have we have in the in the, I mean, there's a very interesting one brewing up in Northern Ireland about John Mitchell, the 1848 guy, the person who was uh, Patrick Pierce described him as the apostle of hate because he hated the English so much. He was actually a Presbyterian, mm. but he hated the English, hated the British government, hated all that. Anyway, he he was a great hero of Irish nationalism and he wrote diatribes, fantastically well-written diatribes of, of nationalist hatred. And um, anyway, he went to America and he ended up um, in the fight. Uh, he was very keen on slavery and he ended up on the Confederate side and two of his sons he was, delight he was very proud of because they died for the Confederacy and for slavery. Um, and they've just cottoned on to this now in Newry, where there's a statue of him. <laughs> and uh, this is all very, very difficult. Uh, <laughs> and and there is now a movement by one or two people who are just saying, well, like, OK, if we're in favour of tearing down <laughs> bad people's statues, don't you think we should do something about old John? And they don't know what to do. You know, they just don't know what to do. <laughs> and, but then, and you talk about tearing down statues. What about Sean Russell? Who was yeah. a Nazi, a Nazi sympathizer in Fairview Park in Dublin? Yeah, um, we, yeah. wouldn't you think he'd be pretty high, high on the list? You see, that's the thing about it is, is I, I was obviously I was taught in Northern Ireland, um, so in school I was taught the UK curriculum in school, which was so we don't really no one in Northern Ireland learns about your Irish history. The fascinating thing about it, I was actually taught history, which is British history, in school in Northern Ireland in a convent school by <laughs> by a guy who subsequently got kicked out of Sinn Féin for being a little bit too militant. <laughs> I was being taught British history by this guy. It was fascinating stuff. But so we we don't really learn anything about the history here. And and I in my 30s, I went to I went to university. I never got a degree when I was younger, and I went to university, wanted to get a degree. So I did one in journalism, which was very silly, but I did it. It's not the biggest mistake I've ever made in my life, but it's close. <laughs> yes, uh, yes. So I, I did it, but but one of the fascinating parts of it, we had I had a politics lecture, uh, um, and an older gentleman, a really nice guy, 
I, he, he was very open about how he was a member of the Labour Party here and stuff, but he was extremely fair, very reasonable. So I got to, he, he was talking stuff about the civil war here and uh, all of this stuff. And I start, and I was saying to him, you know, we weren't taught this in the North. We don't have a clue about what happened here. You know, what, what is it? What, ha- what is taught in schools here? And he goes, well, it sort of taught that there was a civil war, but then you stopped talking about it. Because yes, <laughs> 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 you might say the wrong thing or it might cause a few arguments. And no one has really decided what the actual history is yet. So you just, no, don't talk about it. And if you must talk about it, then blame the Brits. <laughs> yeah, well, that, that, there's always that release, release and at the end, you know. We can go all get together. Yes, what would we do without the Brits? You know, Absolutely. we'd be lost yeah. without them to blame on everything. I mean, <laughs> yeah, the, the whole green jersey thing. I mean, the whole thing with Faradkar. I caused offence. I didn't mean to cause offence by saying that part of it with Faradkar suddenly getting greener than anybody, and I'm not talking about the environment uh, at one stage, was to do with the fact that he would see himself as a bit of an outsider. Patrick Pierce was half English, yeah. and he was trying to live that down. Uh, into, get, as he got progressively more and more and more and more and more extremist uh, nationalist and then Republican. Uh, Eamon de Valero was half um, Spanish-American. Same thing. And I think Varadkar had that because people do see you as an outsider and then you're, you make up for it. And you make, and I could see him doing that in a way that Michal Martin didn't, never has to do that because he's an Irish speaker from no doubt many generations of Martins. And... Um, so he was able to relax on green stuff as mm. Bradcar was, you know, puffing his chest out with his green jersey on it. Yeah, yeah. And you, I, have, you, I have sympathy for him for that. Yeah. No, I, I get that because you do have to, you know, show just how Irish you are. I know that I, I, I'm from the north and I'm still an outsider and still, you know, consider that I have to show am I really properly Irish. And it's it's ridiculous. I don't know it. You know, you you were actually, I mean, there is an excuse for me in that I was born in the North, so they can say, well, you're not really Irish, but you were born here, which I think is, as far as I know, the only qualification you need to be to be Irish, <laughs> and, but you're not anymore. So it's, it's I don't know, the, the, the sooner we have the official rule book, the better. But um, It's a complicated anyway. rule book. Yeah, sorry. No, it's no, always, I, just, yeah, it's, it, I remember it, I, it, I, an American Irish person at some conference there who was um, a supporter of No Raid and the IRA and all the rest of it hissing at me because I'd written a book on Patrick Pierce which she didn't approve of not that she read it but you know yes. uh, and, and just hissing at me you haven't got one ounce one bit of Irish blood in your veins and on a bit of questioning <laughs> I discovered she'd never even been to one <laughs> but even my blood was now removed from me <laughs> I mean, I, I, will admit, uh, yeah. I do admit to an English grandfather, but the other three were absolutely 100% Irish. Yeah. Well, it, the, it, writing, you mentioned writing. So let's, before we finish up, um, let's talk a bit about your writing. What are you writing at the moment? Well, I was trying, because I do crime novels on the side. I had been trying for ages. I'd done 12, and I was really struggling with this new one, which was called Death of a Snowflake. And I do satirical novels, ones you see. So this was set on a, a, a campus. And, um, well, you can imagine, because all the man- madnesses are going on on campuses. But the trouble is, I was going to write during the lockdown, but, of course, there aren't any campuses. 
they've all been closed down. <laughs> so I'm at a loss, you see. I was writing about all sorts of things like the attempts to tear down statues and so on. But anyway, um, I've had to suspend that. So I'm doing my next nonfiction one, which is about uh, the kind of young people like Sean O'Callaghan, actually, who's sort of at the spine of it. But I, it's also about people who get drawn to Islamism, who get drawn to various kinds of terrorism uh, and the ones who emerge at the other end, almost fanatical on the other side. And yeah. I mean, we've got some of them here who are Islamists who become great, great, great heaters, you know, yeah. and, and, and so I'm writing about that. It's, it's a complicated book, but I'm trying to explain the stages from getting taken. And, and one of the things I notice about it well, that they have in common, the ones who've written autobiographies and memoirs, and we know, about you know they get taken in because they really do want to make the world a better place and they are taken in by the ideology and they do things that are wrong and they recognize are wrong and some of them serve time in jail and then there's the stage that they recognize they accept that they've done something wrong it's not like it's not like the ira who never accept that they've done anything wrong or most of them anyway. um and then they how they how they atone how they seek redemption and and how they go to the other side of it. And they're, the, what they have in common is they're all very arrogant and very, very, very clever. And they're so mm. angry at having been taken in by an ideology that they never yeah. get over it. Okay. But do you enjoy writing? Do you really, is, is it still a passion? No, I hate writing. I mean, yeah. I, I hate the actual process of writing. I love, yeah. I love what comes before and I love having done it. So it's worth it. But the actual okay. process is very, very painful and boring at times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. No, I get that. Um, I, and what's the most ridiculous? If we forget about the non-fiction stuff, because obviously no one reads that and then gives their opinion on it anyway. <laughs> but <laughs> your 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 fiction things, which must be read by a completely different subset of people, um, what's the most ridiculous thing you've ever heard said about one of your fiction books the, re the reason i ask is because i re i remember um when i was in school um we had a we had an author come in to give us a chat about she was writing her books uh, and in, in one of her books it was uh, she'd written something about butterflies and so we had then our english teacher at the time who fancied herself as you know a, a fascinating writer and all the rest and she gave this whole discussion stood up to the author and went you know I read your book and it's so great and the part about the butterflies oh the symbolism about the butterflies <laughs> being the symbolism of this and I oh it was just fascinating how you used them as a symbolism and you know symbolism symbolism and, and the author turned around to her and said um no I just put butterflies in because I like butterflies <laughs> yes. Do you ever get anything like that by people you know who think they know more about your books than you do? Well, I mean, fortunately, um, the, the intellectuals tend to despise crime fiction, so they don't much write about it. Although some German did do an essay uh, analyzing the sense of humor, uh, an English sense of humor, as betrayed in three book, three authors, and I was one of them. Uh, and I'm not English, but never mind. Um, I suppose I must be since I'm not Irish. Uh, <laughs> um, yes, well, it was written in English. So that make you English, obviously. <laughs> so, so there was. I was once. I did once go to. This isn't some. This isn't about me, but going to a crime event that was normally held in Indiana, and 
it was great fun. They decided to take it to Paris. And I used to, I know this particular outfit very well. So I went to Paris to their Paris based uh, <laughs> seminar and um, for a couple of days. And of course, what had happened was the French intellectuals had seized it and, <laughs> and had taken over and were producing completely incomprehensible papers investigating what crime fiction was about. And and I remember the stage, one of them getting up and saying to a great fellow who's a great friend of mine, Red, Reginald Hill, who was a wonderful crime writer. Uh, he was on this panel and somebody stands up and speaks for about three, four, five minutes about the gender, gender and crime fiction and what it was about society that had um, so many women at this certain stage and what was it about and as reflected in intellectual history and on and on this person went I mean it was just rubbish you know intellectual rubbish yeah, yeah. and uh, Reg looked at her and said it was post-war the men were all dead <laughs> <laughs> well they, they were the pri- privileged bastards that they are <laughs> being dead and so they didn't have to be written about <laughs> yeah. So they couldn't keep women out of being published anymore because they were dead. Yes. <laughs> yes. Well, thank you, Ruth. I think we, we'll finish on that in that Ruth has solved the, the, the only way to prevent male privilege is to just kill us all. <laughs> and that's the only way that women will succeed. Is it, Once we're dead, women will be all perfect and the, the world will be such a beautiful place. It'll so, be, it'll be grand. And, ev- and everybody be- will be Irish. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> Except us Nordies, we can fuck off. They don't want us. <laughs> that's, that's about it. Yeah. <laughs> well, listen, Ruth, I can't thank you enough. Thank you very much for doing this today. Um, it's been an absolute pleasure. And um, I hope everyone buys your books and reads more of your work because it's all fascinating. And I, I don't just say that just because you came on the show. It, it really is. It really is true. So thank you very much. Thank you very much, Gareth. It was great fun. And I wish the readers of that. Brit very well because it, it's a dissenting voice and I'm a subscriber and I post things from it and I there's lots I don't agree with but it's yes it's great and and I, that's as it should be there should be lots that lots of us don't agree with but still are able to talk about it and be friends at the end of the day yeah, so, so thank, thank you Ruth. okay thank you Gareth.